morning again, everybody. Um, we are continuing uh, for one more week in Acts before we take a little three-week break uh, and do some Christmas stuff. Uh, but I wanted to finish uh, this little section, verses 12 through 16, because it's kind of part of the previous section we read. So I wanted to finish that before we jump into some Christmas stuff. Um, we're going to be talking the next couple of weeks about... Uh, Mary, we're going to spend a week, I believe, talking about uh, Joseph. Um, we might, uh, I might break out. I preached a sermon. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It was like four years ago. I preached a sermon on angels, uh, and we might pull something like that out again. We'll see what all it entails. I know on the 18th, we're going to be talking about joy and about Mary's joy and about the joy in Elizabeth that she feels her, that John feels, uh, right? We read the baby jumping in her belly for joy. That's John the Baptist. Uh, it's a great story. We're gonna, but that's two weeks from today. But just so you know, Christmas stuff, right? I was told... Um, by the, by the head of the board, this was before he was the head of the board, but I was told by him um, that as soon as Thanksgiving is done, we should be doing only Christmas songs. So I didn't make him happy because last week we didn't do Christmas songs, but uh, that's my fault. So there you go. But today we're in Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. Now, if you remember last week, right, we talked about the story of Ananias and Sapphira and about how God used them uh, as a warning, right? We talked about a little bit about how God uses them as a warning to the rest of his church and to people. There's a few other things in there. But remember the story, right? Ananias is like, hey, let's lie about how much we're sold this for. He gets struck dead. Ananias shows up and they're like, or uh, Sapphira shows up, excuse me, and it's like, hey, uh, yeah, this is what we did. And she gets struck dead uh, and they got to carry him out and bury him and stuff like that. And that is where we find the church at this point, it's an early church, except it is like 5,000 plus people because uh, Peter has preached a couple of messages at this point wherein both thousands of people get saved. We read they're giving away stuff, they're, they're selling stuff, they're supporting each other. And this is where we find these three, four, uh, five verses right here. Let's read them. Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. It reads like this. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. To such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets. So that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Seems kind of uh, at odds with each other, right? We read, uh, nobody wanted to associate with them. However, we'll use what they can do. Don't we do that today? Yeah, I don't want to associate with this, but um, I'll do it. I'll give you a prime example of one that is not a sin, but a prime example, okay? So most of you will know that, uh, uh, you know, Joe Biden ran on a promise that he would uh, forgive student loan debts, right? Uh, federal student loan debts. He has no power to tell, you know, Sally Mae or whatever that you don't owe them money anymore. You still do, just so you know. Uh, some of you in here might still be paying on those. But, and so he finally did it. And it's been struck down in multiple courts and all that kind of stuff. Right now, I'm pretty sure it's before the Supreme Court, whatever, right? I hadn't given much thought to it. One, because I think it's a 
terrible economic idea. I will be paying for it for the rest of my life. So will you, so will my children, so will my children's children. It's the way that taxes work. That money has to come from somewhere. It comes from our paychecks. And if you don't believe me, your taxes went up after all those stimulus checks too. That money had to come from somewhere. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have taken one. I did. But I'm just saying. And it's the same idea here. But I haven't given much thought to it because I paid off my student debts. I worked my tail off and paid off my student debts because I said I took out my student loans. It's my job to pay them back. So I did. And then we received word, we meaning my wife and I, that they will pay back as long as you paid after January 1st of 2020. Any money you paid back after then, even if you paid back completely, you're still eligible to get that money back. And Maddie goes, should we do it? And I said, yeah, why shouldn't we apply? She goes, well, you don't like the idea. And I said, yeah, but I'm going to pay for it anyway, so I might as well get the money they're giving me. I don't want to associate with them, but I'm okay getting the money from it. It's an example, not a sin example, but just an example of how we will fudge the numbers, if you will. We'll deny any involvement with somebody or something, but be okay reaping the rewards of it. And that's where the people are right here. They're like, yeah, we don't want to. They're killing people out there. They're striking them dead. I don't want to associate with them. As well, add in, we read earlier in Acts, the Pharisees and the other lawmakers are already fed up with the church. They've been around a month and they're already fed up with them. You know, it, it didn't pay to be associated with this church, right? And church isn't the word that's used here yet, but we'll call it church, right? They, I'm, I mean, they didn't call themselves church yet. We'll call it church. But they like the fact that um, these people, especially the apostles, seem to have the ability to do miraculous things that only one other person in the past 500 plus years has done, and that's the one we crucified who they said raised from the dead. Number one in your note sheets, a multitude added, a multitude, a multitude added. First off, the people were faithful to keep meeting with each other, right? We read their meeting in Solomon's portico, which is part of the, of the temple, but we read they are faithful in meeting together. Peter and John have already been threatened, right? We read that earlier in Acts. They've already been threatened. A group of people, we don't know how many were there, but at least some people were there to watch Ananias and Sapphira die. And if they weren't there, I'm sure that story spread like wildfire. Church, we like to talk about how we shouldn't gossip. Let me tell you the number one place to get your gossip. It's church. That's a different sermon, but... Uh, just putting that out there. I am sure that story spread around like wildfire. And before long, I'm guessing that all of Jerusalem knows that there are two people buried out back. And they lied about to God, and that's why they're buried out back. And yet, those who had accepted Christ were still meeting together faithfully. Church, you want to change your communities, you want your church to grow and in number and in, in, in spiritual maturity. You want your church to be a powerhouse in your area, right? Whether it's right here or elsewhere, meet faithfully. I'm not, listen, if you're sick, please don't come to church. We don't need to spread it all around, right? Little Johnny has pink eye, he can stay home. The rest of the church doesn't need it, all right? But, I was talking to my mom about this. There are very few reasons to not be in church, in my opinion. 
Now, yes, I am the pastor of that church, and I do like it when there's more people here, but I also don't see a lot of reasons in Scripture. You want, you want to be a, a, a powerhouse that changes the world around you. It starts in here. It starts with the church meeting together faithfully. And we see that they're showing love and compassion. We read it, right? That, that they are showing this love and compassion not just to believers, but to everybody. They are a group of people, thousands strong at this point, who are showing the love of God. No, See what we don't read here? And they were pointing out every person's sin just as they were sinning. No, we read that they were healing people, healing the sick and casting out demons. Church, I'm going to tell you something that we as old-time Northern Baptists don't like very much. God has not called you to point out the sin in an unbeliever's life. He has called you to point out the need for Jesus. Now, in the process of that, most times, sin does kind of come up. But our job is not to go uh, at the water cooler and you're like, hey, Jim, I know that you're an alcoholic. What are you doing about that? It's not our job. Our job is to go, hey, Jim, um, can I tell you a little bit about Jesus? And if Jesus brings up the topic of alcohol, yeah, talk about it. But our job is to point Christ first and foremost. Now, to believers, we should be pointing out sin. Now, not in a mean way. But to believers, if I see, you know, if I see Andy down here and I'm like, hey, Andy, um, I noticed that you are... Uh, you're lying a lot to me. I've caught you in a couple lies. And your mom and dad came to me and said, Andy's been lying lately. I'm going to call you out on it. And go, hey, Andy, brother, let's, let's talk. Why are you lying? What's the, you know, and stuff like that. Because you're my brother in Christ. If I didn't know you very well, I'm not going, Andy, I think you lied to me. I'd go, Andy, where's, you got Jesus in your life? Let's talk about it. Right? There's pointing love and compassion. They are not saying, and I want to make this clear as well, because too often in today's world, we equate love and compassion with, um, um, not tolerance, um, right? We say, if you love somebody, that means you, you allow them. You condone, that's the word I'm looking for. You condone their sin. No, never. Never. Right? I'm talking to a believer and, or an unbeliever, and I've done this before, and they go, well, you know, I do this. I go, it's wrong. It's wrong. But I'm way more concerned about do you have Jesus because who gives a rip if they are an alcoholic going to the strip club doing drugs? I don't care if they don't have Jesus. They're going to hell either way. They could live a great life. They're going to hell if they don't have Jesus. Once they're saved, let's teach them. Right? As I'm doing, I try to do for you guys. Try to teach you and me, right, how to grow. But they're showing love and compassion. And notice, I love this. I gotta find the right verse. Uh, and all the I'm in verse 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number. Does that verse say that? the apostles and the rest of the church were adding those people to their number? No, it doesn't. In fact, in the context of it, I think we can see that God is adding people to their number. They got out of the way. They just did what God asked them to do. Church, I've had a number of people, um, and this is not a bad thing, ask me questions along the lines of, how can we grow the church? How can we get more butts in the pews, right? It is a great question. It is something I have worked on 
for four and a half years. I think we've been moderately successful. But here is the key, three keys to getting butts in the pews. Number one, be faithful in your attendance and in your love for each other. Show love and compassion to every person you meet, including that idiot that cuts you off on the highway. You got to show love and compassion to them. And thirdly, and maybe most importantly, get out of the way. Let God work. Let God use you where he wants to use you, not where you want to be used. Oh, I feel like I need to say this. Really? Why does it matter what you feel? Shouldn't it matter what God's wanting you to say? And when you do those things, I'm not saying if you do those things, right, that next week there's going to be 400 people in here. Maybe there will. I doubt it, but maybe. God could do it. I don't think he's going to, but he could. But I will say this, and I want to point this out because it is a massive, I've I've bragged on this church before and I'm going to do it again. Almost every person that has come through our doors, whether it's for a funeral or something else, has talked about how we're different. We show love and compassion to people. That's what we're talking about here. And there's multitude added to their number every day. They're also zealous. I didn't write this one down. But they're zealous about preaching the gospel. They're zealous about sharing the gospel. Be zealous about sharing the gospel. I, if I may, brag on myself a little bit here. Um, I got my Spotify wrapped, which tells me all of my songs that I listen to. Uh, and I was in the top 0.5% of Casting Crowns listeners in the whole country. Um, so obviously, I care very much about the gospel. I don't know what you guys is do, but I care very much, obviously. All right, that was supposed to be a joke. Sorry. That one didn't work out very well. Sometimes they don't hit. It happens. It happens. That's why you just keep telling them and telling them and telling them until somebody laughs at you. Not with you, at you. Um, But the fact of the matter is, I have had people tell me, you talk about God a lot. You're right. I do. I do. And I'm never going to apologize for it. And I don't want you guys to apologize for it either. Be zealous for God. He loves you enough to die for you, right? We did communion this morning. He's, what more could you give him? Or what, what less should you give him? Let me add it, let me change it. What less should you give him than being zealous on fire for him? Number two on your note sheets, God's hand is evident. God's hand is evident. I wrote there, God's hand equals a healthy church. Church, I want to tell you something. You are not a healthy church if God's hand is not evident in what you are doing. Now, I will also say this. Look around. God's hand is evident in this church. There are people getting saved. There are people being baptized. We get people that that come in. We help people in our communities, all that kind of stuff, right? There are a number of healthy churches in this area. If I may, this doesn't just apply to a church. It applies to a home. It applies to a state, to a country, to a world. If God's hand isn't evident evident in your home, I don't care how much money you make, how nice you are to each other, anything like that, it's not yet a healthy home. So what does God's hand look like in that then? Because you're right, it doesn't look quite the same as in church, right? A healthy home, God's hand is evident, is things like, is it a chore to pray before every meal? Or do you do it because you just want to thank God for what you're doing? 
Do you spend time with God? Husbands, we talked about this last week, are you leading your family to spend time with God? Stuff like that. One day, we'll preach a message on the whole totality of what a healthy family looks like um, and stuff like that. But God's hand is evident, and when it is, you've got a healthy church. We read that God's hand is evident, so much so that people are like, if Peter's shadow just crosses over this person, maybe they'll be healed. Now, there were people, I think we can read this, because there would be people today, there were people that misunderstood. They were like, look at the power of these guys. We want to be with them. But I guarantee you there are people, how do I know? Because there were a multitude added. There were people who went, I, I know that guy. I know Peter. He was a fisherman. It's not his power, so whose is it? Church, that is what we should be doing. People should look at us and go, well, I know it's not them, so who is it? And then they come and ask us, and we go, it's Jesus. It's God. One of my favorite songs, you guys, uh, newsboys, right? Peter Furler newsboys, not the new newsboys. They're not bad. I shouldn't say they're new. They're like 15 years old at this point. But the, 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 um, uh, the Peter Furler original Newsboys, right, with the accent you can barely understand, it's great. With the really weird songs, one of my favorite songs is um, uh, Breakfast, right? You guys heard, ever heard that one? Uh, uh, when the toast is burned and all the milk has turned and Captain Crunch is waving farewell. When the big one finds you, may this song remind you that they don't serve breakfast in hell. It's just a great song. It's the, it's the salvation message. The verses are all filled with puns about breakfast and cereal and stuff. If you get a chance, go listen to it. Newsboys are weird, but they're all chocked full of, of, of God and stuff. It's great. One of my favorite songs by them is called um, Take Me to Your Leader. And the whole thing is about, hey, we don't know why you care. We don't know what you're doing, but we recognize there's something. Take us to your leader. You should live a life that makes people go, take me to your leader. And don't bring them to me. I'm not your leader. Take them to him. Because he should be your leader, right? But we see that God's doing miracles and unexplainable things. And lives are being changed. In Jerusalem and in the cities surrounding Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the epicenter of this earthquake that's going to take over the world. It's going to spread throughout all of the world. Just as Jesus says at the end of Matthew, right? Go into all the world. Go everywhere. It's an epicenter that's going to send out missionaries. Paul will make it all the way to Spain. There'll be people that end up going overseas eventually. It's this epicenter that is echoed throughout history now. And it starts right there. Church, I don't know if, I bet you Peter kind of got it. Because Peter, while he was an impulsive man, was also pretty smart. He, he, he could figure some stuff out. I bet he eventually got it that this was something bigger. Church, let me tell you something right now. You are a part of something bigger than yourself. You are a part of something bigger than FBC New Milford. You are a part of something worldwide, a life-changing movement that is the only thing that changes people's lives. That is what you are a part of. And sometimes we can feel kind of insignificant, right? An ant on this big old world. Yet, yet, the book of Esther says, how do you know God has not placed you for such a time as this? Church, God has placed you for such a time as this. Maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like you're not really part of something bigger. You are. You are a part 
of something bigger than yourself. And God placed you here for a reason. You can be a part of something that grows and grows and grows and is an epicenter. Church, I, we've said this before. I want this church to be the epicenter of something changing in New Milford. I do. And I think it has been. I think it could be more. Because I, th- I don't think God's done yet. I was just listening to a Casting Crown song this morning, right? Because I'm a top 0.5% listener of them. And it, it's called One More Song. And in the bridge, Mark Hall writes, um, what I truly hope to see is one more broken life made whole, one more prodigal brought home. What better way to praise your name and majesty than one more hand in the air, one more soul that comes to know you. Church, you have been called. I know this. You should just listen to all of their songs, Laura. Just listen to every single Casting Crown song. They don't have a bad one. Every song I have named, she's written it down, which I like. You all should be doing that. No. <laughs> Laura's my favorite congregation member right now. No. No, no, no. <laughs> no. But, but right, so, um, but that should be our goal. It's lives changed. One more. We should never be satisfied to go, okay, God, who is next? One more, God, one more. That's what being zealous for God is, to just go, okay, God, one more, and let a multitude be added, whether it's to FBC or SNMBC or Bridgewater or whatever. Let a multitude of Christians be added to the kingdom of God. Let them be added, one at a time, because that's how it happens, one at a time. This section starts out kind of bleak, right? People don't want to be associating with them. But it ends with this incredible, in my mind, when I read this, I see this just this incredible push of, look what God will do if you let him. If you get out of the way, do what he says, and let him work. Now maybe, right, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think we're going to grow to the size of the church in Jerusalem. If we do, we're going to need a new building. It'll be great. If we ever outgrow this building, that means that we have grown a ton and God has blessed us in that way. I want to say this. I don't want to leave this sanctuary. I very much like this sanctuary. But if we have a thousand people and we need to add an all-purpose building out there, I'm in. If that's God's plan, I'm in. If it's God's plan to have us be this size, I'm in. Because I know God's plan is for us to preach the gospel. And I'm in. So church, as we, as we wrap up here, I want to make this clear. The title of the sermon was God's Work because I want to make this abundantly clear. No life changed, no life changed is your work. None. Not even your life. A life changed has always been, is, and will always be God's work. He's the only one who does it. How refreshing to know he doesn't need me. How amazing to find that he wants me in order to help with that work, in order to preach his gospel. And I always say his gospel, not just the gospel, because gospel just means good news. I want to preach his good news. Because I could give you good news. I ate breakfast this morning. That's good news. I want to give you his gospel, his good news. Preach the gospel and use your words as well. That idea of if necessary, use the words, throw that out. Use your words, use your actions, and watch people's lives be changed. Everybody's life is not going to be changed, church. 
I have friends that I wish I could. You know, Paul writes that if he could give up his own salvation and cause others to get saved, he would do it. I get it. Because we want so desperately. It's not going to happen with everybody. It will happen with some. And as we write, as we finish up this and head into Christmas and then head into the new year, I want to impress upon us. Let God work. You just be the tools. The tools don't really do the work. The right tool, right? If you're trying to screw in a screw, a hammer and chisel is really not going to help you very much. You might get that screw to go in, but it's not going to be like it's supposed to, right? God uses the right tool for the right job, but it is still God doing the work. I don't say if we got a plumber, I don't go, wow, that wrench did all the work. No, the plumber did the work. He just knew the right, he or she right, knew the right tools to use and the right knowledge. God's got all of that. Be a tool in his hands and watch God work and change lives. It has been, and this isn't technically the wrap-up for the year, but it kind of has turned into it. Um, it has been an incredible year. I believe we've watched lives be changed this year. I can't wait for next year when we see more. Because I know God's going to because we as a church want to see it happen. Which means we'll do what God asks us to do. I firmly believe that. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you first. First off, I thank you, God, that you don't go, well, it's in your hands, figure it out, because, boy, there would be a whole lot of leaks if that was the case. I thank you that you say, I'm the one who will do the work. I'm asking you to be the tools, to be my hands and feet on this earth. I thank you for that. I ask that you impress upon us the need to fellowship together as a church, as a body of believers. I thank you that you, sh you tell us, hey, show love, show compassion, show grace, show me. And then let me do the work. Everybody's going to have sin in their life. Let me do the work in that. I'm asking you to bring me to them and bring them to me. Father, I ask, uh, I, I thank you for this previous year. It has been a great year. It's had its ups and downs. It's had its hardships, no doubt. But you have done incredible things, and I praise you. I ask that you would show us your work. Allow us to see it. Because it is such an encouragement when that happens. Father, we praise you. We love you. Um, and it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.